Because I feel like in any community and in any hobby, and it's not just sports or you know any any sort of thing where there are multiple roles, like there's always a place for you in anything that you want to do. You just have to find what it is. If you're into sports, you might not be able to play, but there's other ways for you to contribute. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys Podcast, and happy National Lineman Appreciation Day. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Brian Barish. Brian is a media manager for the United States Australian Football League, and first became interested in Australian football, or footy, back in 1995 while channel surfing. Since then, Brian's interest in the sport has built him a resume that includes providing commentary and analysis for stateside footy TV, girls play footy, and the Footy Gospel Podcast. Brian even played a total of 61 games over seven seasons with his local USAFL club, the Philadelphia Hawks. In addition to being a team player, Brian has also served as secretary and media manager for the Hawks and helped the club grow their online presence with game reports and social media involvement. Our conversation ranges from what got Brian into footy to how the sport has evolved over the years, his experience traveling to Australia, and even a time when one of his comments during a game made a splash on Reddit. Just wait until you hear what that comment was. And be sure to check out the links in the show notes to stay updated on all of the exciting things Brian has in the works, since the USAFL is currently celebrating their 25th anniversary by releasing a set of podcast episodes in the near future. In the show notes, you can also find a link to a YouTube video explaining footy a bit further. So maybe you can fall in love with the sport too, just like Brian did back in 1995. With all that in mind... Just sit back, relax, and get ready for Brian Barish's journey with Australian football. All right, so Brian, welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me tonight. Oh, anytime, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Oh, I am so stoked for this conversation. So <laughs> we are here to talk about something I am admittedly not an expert on, and that is Australian football, also known as Aussie rules or footy. And can you start real quick by explaining how you first got interested in footy and what your current involvement with it is? Yeah, and, and don't feel too bad because I, I'm learning and that uh, a great many other uh, Americans and really anybody, a lot of people outside of Australia don't don't know what Aussie rules is yet. So you're in good stead. But that's one of <laughs> that's that's one of my goals is is basically to tell the footy gospel, uh, so to speak, uh, and and uh, spread the word of this fantastic game. So so yeah, so um, I I mean Aussie rules football I first uh, discovered it in the mid 90s it was uh it had really kind of got a cult following even before that in the 1980s with uh with ESPN in the early days they were looking for something to fill their gaps in terms of programming and they showed everything they showed everything from the America's Cup to the spelling bee to you know all these different things and so and one of the things they did was Aussie rules football and they would show it live so it would be about one one or two o'clock in the morning now I was too young for that but by the mid 90s I had seen what Aussie rules is very very briefly and you know different like sporting shows but I never actually sat down and watched a game 
and I was, uh, it was the summer of 1995. I was uh, 13, almost 14 years old, and I came home from school one day, and I, you know, did that little half an hour bit where I would, you know, kind of eat some snacks, put off doing my homework, put on the TV, flip around, you know, all the, you know, watching cartoons and whatnot. And I happened <laughs> to cross uh, one of the sports channels, and they had on this game that, again, I had recognized as Aussie Rules, but I had no idea what was happening. And it was a one-hour-long highlight show. And by the end of that hour, I was completely transfixed. Aussie Rules is unlike any other sport in the entire world. And I guess just to kind of give a little bit of a background, it's a game played on a field that is uh, by surface area about four times the size of an American football field. It's played on an oval. Uh, it's about, uh, I would say, 200 yards long and about, 100 and about 130, 140 yards wide. At the end of either side are four uprights for goalposts and the object of the game is you've got this ball which is uh it's an it's an oblong ball it's similar to a football but it, it looks more like a rugby ball because it's a little bit more rounded on the ends and so uh you the object is to work the ball down the field it's free-flowing there's no scrimmages there's no like stoppages like in rugby or american football mm -hmm. but to work the ball down the field either by kicking the ball uh you can run with it and you can punt the ball or you can handball it you're not allowed to actually throw it like you are in american football or rugby you have to hold the ball in one hand and then punch it out with the other hand mm -hmm. you know because australia uh <laughs> and so um the object of the game ultimately is to kick the ball between those that set of posts. Now, there's there, there's as like I said, there's four goalposts. There's two of them in the middle. They're two large ones. And if you kick the ball between the two large ones, that's a goal, and the goal is worth six points. If you miss and you kick it between one of the big ones and one of the little posts on the side, that's called a behind, and you score one point. As I say, there's no offsides. You can be if you have the ball, you can be tackled anywhere between the shoulders and the knees, and you are allowed to uh, if you're within you know if you're you know, two players are going after the ball. You're allowed to throw your hip and your shoulder in. Mm -hmm. So it's a very physical game. I know a lot of people have heard of Aussie rules football and think, you know, when they think of Australian rules football, they think there's no rules where well, that's that's not true. You know, it, like I said, it's a very physical <laughs> game, but uh, there's a lot of care taken like by the by the umpires and, and whatnot to make sure that it's that it's as safe as possible. So so I saw this sport for the first time and I was hooked immediately and I and I kept following it every week. And the internet became a little bit more prevalent. So once I was able to start following the, the results online, I did. I started listening to matches at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning and, and just, just completely fell in love with it. By 2007, 2008, I, you know, had moved into Center City, Philadelphia, or actually more, more like West Philadelphia. And yes, yes, that, that same West Philadelphia from the song. <laughs> uh, um, there was a team. I learned that there was a team called the Philadelphia Hawks and a league called the United States Australian Football League. And I always wanted to go and check out a game. Never got the chance. Well, the main league in Australia is called the Australian Football League. And at the end of September they do their their version of the Super Bowl, which is they call the Grand Final. And many clubs here in the U.S. have a viewing party. The, the Philadelphia Hawks were hosting, as they do every year, a Grand Final party. And it happened to be, uh, most places nowadays, it's at a local bar. But at that time, it was at a certain American national chain restaurant, who I shall not embarrass. Um, <laughs> But anyway, we went there. So my wife and I came. It was it was ten o'clock at night on a Friday night, and I walked in. I paid my you know we paid our our twenty dollars and we sat in this little booth, 
And I didn't know anybody. Uh, you know, everybody was like complete strangers. And one by one, players from the team started walking over and said, hey, you know, how did you find out about us? How did you find out about footy? And all these other questions. And then the conversation started to turn to, have you considered playing because we're looking for players? Now, my athletic background is not very pristine. <laughs> and in fact, the one year that I played soccer, my dad came along and he came to the sideline and I said, I said, well, dad, how did I do? He said, well, you run like a pregnant giraffe. <laughs> so oh, when I, ex fantastic. I explained this to the, to the coaches and everybody who were trying to recruit me and they said, no, we don't care. Like we're looking for players and we'll, you know, we'll, you obviously like the game and it'll be fine. So that was in 2007. The following year, 2008, I finally got up the courage to go out, and I went to a scrimmage. It was like a nine-on-nine -nine scrimmage, and it was uh, down in FDR Park in South Philadelphia. And I, and I showed up. I had, like, gym shorts on and sneakers and all this other stuff, and I, I was kind of going back and forth. I said, maybe I'll play. Maybe I'll watch. I don't know. I showed up, and John Loring, who is the coach of the field, he, coach of the Hawks, he came over, saw me standing on the side of the field. And he comes over, and I recognized him from the grand final party. And he says, hey, are, are you here to play footy? And I could have said no, because all these things were coursing <laughs> through my head. Like, I'm going to get tackled, and I'm going to I'm I'm be paralyzed, and I'm going to die. And uh, No, no, you shouldn't do this. But I ignored all that, and I said yes. And, <laughs> and um, he pointed to a, to a group of people in these, like, hand-me-down uniforms and said, great, see those guys wearing the white uniforms? Learn their names, because in 10 minutes you're going you're gonna to be on their team. And I went, okay. <laughs> Long story short, I played through that first game. The worst thing I got was I got accidentally elbowed in the stomach. I didn't die. I made it through the game. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Everybody was really nice. So uh, so the end of, the, of that particular scrimmage, I'm, I'm sitting down on the side. I'm getting dressed. I'm, you know, stretching out. And John, the coach, comes over and goes, hey, hey Brian, what did you think? I said, uh, yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for letting me play. He said, good. Say, what are you doing in, like, three weeks? I said, I, I don't know. I don't have any plans. Why? He goes, well, our first game of the season is in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to rent a bus and drive down and, and, and play in the first game of the season. He said, are you interested in, in coming? I said, to watch? He said, no, dummy, to play. <laughs> and I said, well, well, don't I have to try out for the team? He said, all right, here's your tryout. Do you have fun playing footy? Yeah. Do you want to come and play with us? Yeah. Congratulations, you're a Philadelphia Hawk. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was my, I guess, my indoctrination into the, into the game. I played for about seven seasons, and I always had a had an interest in going into commentating, and uh, was something I'd wanted to do when I was eight. And and also just like social media was still relatively new, and and I did a lot of writing. You know, I used to cover like youth baseball for for the local club uh, here in Philadelphia. So uh, I started got involved with that. The USA, you know, and we only at the time, I mean, we're up to 50 clubs now, but at the time the USAFL only had about, I would say about 30 clubs at the time. So, and we, we played the same clubs on the East coast over and over. It was North Carolina, Boston, Washington, and New York. And so you make a lot of friends because, you know, I mean, it's an amateur league. You're not out to like, you know, you're not out to murder anybody. You're out to you're out to knock some people over and then knock back some beers and laugh about it. You know that sort of thing. So I made a lot of friends, and uh, a couple of them happened to be on the board of the USAFL. And this position of, as the media manager came open, and they approached me, and they said, you know, you do a lot of good work, and 
and uh, we'd like for you, you know, we'd love for you to put all that effort toward helping our sport grow and helping our league grow. And at the time I was considering, you know, I had been playing at that point, this was 2014. So I've been playing about six years. I just was tired. Like, <laughs> like the idea of doing something different and, and, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I wasn't very, I mean, I, I had earned a couple of, you know, they were very nice in giving me uh, a couple of individual awards and, and, and whatnot. But I was like, yeah, I think I'd be much more happier if I was doing what I wanted to do when I was eight years old. And that is calling play by play and doing all this other stuff that they want me to do. And, and that's it. I've been doing, so I've been, I am the media manager. Uh, I'm also the in-house graphics department, and I'm also the lead uh, play by play uh, announcer for the league. No, that's so awesome. And and I'm so glad that you gave the backstory and context into footy specifically about what it's about, because I, I tried cramming that information in myself and I, I learned pretty quickly Australian football is much different than American football, you know, closer resemblance to something like rugby. But yeah, no, I, I love that backstory, though. I, I mean, I can just tell you this is just something you're so passionate about doing and and yeah, and getting the opportunity to to play on with the Philadelphia Hawks. It's just an, an amazing experience for sure. And I was actually reading the interview you did with world footy news. And in there you stated that you would do game reports for the games you were playing in. And I honestly couldn't even wrap my head around that. So uh, <laughs> what was your approach to doing something like that? I mean, cause obviously I feel like it must be difficult to provide an overview for a game that you're playing in. <laughs> well, I asked a lot of people after the game, like, Hey, that happened on the other side of the field. Uh, what happened on that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or, hey, I was on the bench and I was, like, doubled over in pain. Like, what, what happened on that? No. Um, I mean, the the thing is, is you're, t- you know, you're telling a story and it's just like anything else. You're trying to get as much information as possible from people. And, and, and like I said, I had friends on, on just about every team we played. So I was able to go to them afterwards and be like, hey, you know, who kicked this goal? You know, tell me who was, who, you know, the coach felt was the best players on your team and whatnot and the other teams were very very you know cooperative and and uh you know gracious in terms of helping out the information and and so yeah that's that's an odd experience when you have to go back and and (laughs) and and listen i'm i'm i try to be pretty modest so it wasn't like uh you know be like oh yeah i was the best player even though i was on the bench for you know 90 percent of it (laughs) no that that uh that makes a lot of sense I guess just interviewing other people, getting other people's opinions and takes after the fact, that would be much easier than just trying to recap the game all from memory and everything that you were experiencing because for some reason that was a default thought in my head. I was like, that's just not, that's just not practical to do that. So your, your tactic makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, and, and I, I experience this now as media manager is that there's not a lot of people that, that are there that will go and actually like take notes and that sort of thing. So I basically became the default note taker. And, and the thing is even now, like I go back and, and listen, I call a lot of these games that I that I go back and I do recaps of but if I'm calling it it means that it's on that 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 there's a recording of it and it's online now the person uh, my boss at the league Doran James is the one who uploads everything and he's got you know 
all sorts of stuff to do when he comes back from from these trips that we go to because they're usually in you know far off exotic locations like racing wisconsin and sacramento california and austin texas and so he'll come back and he'll put everything on maybe about a week or two after i call it and so now i a lot of times yeah i see it but i'm trying to do put together a story as soon as i can so i try and in many cases i am reaching out to people and doing it so it's the same concept because I'm trying to make notes, but I'm also like commentating. So there's all sorts of there's all sorts of challenges to doing that. But I but, you know, I mean, I do my best and a lot of the players, even when I was playing, a lot of the players appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I yeah, no, for sure. And no, there's just God, there's so much work that goes into that. But no, I, that all those tactics make a lot of sense. And I think just turning it around and, and kind of writing it down or taking note on different things pretty much right after the fact is is extremely effective and pretty much anything you do really because uh that's that's when the ideas are just fresh in your mind and you can just you know get them all out there but (laughs) and and you actually touched on this a little bit earlier but i was also reading in that interview with world footy news is that it you know footy wasn't nearly as accessible as it it is today when you're first getting into it and so how has the sport evolved since then and what are some of the best resources to use within the u.s to get more involved with footy either from a playing or spectators perspective well you know the the one thing that has changed is when i as i mentioned you know there was really no way to watch live footy until i mean the you know espn stopped showing matches i would say in the late 80s when you know once they got the nfl and once they got you know american sports that americans actually watch you know college basketball <laughs> the nba all that other stuff so the, all of that kind of got pushed to the back burner i know espn too so just to kind of give you an idea of the, the 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 situation, the game usually comes on at about twelve thirty Eastern time, and twelve thirty a.m. the grand final, the last Saturday in, in September. And one year, ESPN2 was going to show it live. And the game in front of it was a, was a I think it was a Dodgers-Padres game. It was, it was a game out on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. And it was a game that went, I want to say, about 14 or 15 innings. <laughs> and ESPN's policy is that they never leave a live broadcast. So, mm. um, unfortunate. So, you had a lot of people wanting to watch the AFL Grand Final who unfortunately missed the first half because of the way it was stacked up. But now, for the uninitiated and for those who don't know that the sport exists, you know, within the last couple of years, you've, you have Fox Soccer Plus showing it, which, uh, you know, it's a, it's a $15 or $10 a month subscription, usually, usually packaged, but it's still a subscription, so it's not that readily available. Uh, Fox Sports 2 has been showing matches, which I think about 15% of all households in the U.S. got that channel. But more importantly, we've had games on Fox Sports 1, which 80 to 90% of American households get, and that's the big ticket. The biggest thing is in 2020, we had, of course, this situation where in the middle of March, all American sports shut down. Mm -hmm. However, there was about a one-week gap where Australia was starting to shut everything down, but they decided that they were going to go ahead... The two major leagues, which which the National Rugby League and the Australian Football League, decided that they were going to go forward at least with 
you know, one more week and then reassess the situation. So this was a week after the NBA and the NHL and all these other sports had shut down and, and March Madness had been canceled. So somebody had the bright idea at Fox Sports to say, we're going to put all of these games not just on these other channels, but we're going to put them on Fox Sports 1. And here you had a population that, that had basically had every single sport yanked out from under them from a live basis, and now they had live sport. And what I usually do is I go on the on the Twitter account on USAFL1997, and if I know that there's going to be a game on Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2, I usually go through and see who's talking about about Aussie rules because they'll come across this and be like, man, I have no idea what this is what is happening. I have no idea what I'm watching, but this is entertaining. And so I'll reach out to them and say, hey, I, you know, you live in you live in in Philadelphia like I do. You have a team there, the Philly Hawks, or oh, you live in Seattle. Go check out the Seattle Grizzlies. And so that particular Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You know, we basically in this and, and you know, it was juxtapositioned. Uh, see what I did there? I <laughs> see that. <laughs> it was juxtapositioned against this, like, terrible, awful thing that was happening. But by the same token, you know, here I had been scratching and clawing to try and get more more notice for the sport. And this was the best, like, situation. We had no competition whatsoever. It's not like there was an NBA game on. It's not like there was a football game on. It's not like there was uh, baseball or, or March Madness or anything. We were the only show in town. And so normally where I would normally maybe have about a dozen or so interactions, we had people like, you know, the AFL was retweeting us and and, and everybody around, you know, uh, Julie DeCaro, who's a well-known broadcaster and journalist based out of Chicago. She reached out to us as well. Pat McAfee, who has his own syndicated show, former Indianapolis Colts punter. Um, we sent him a ball, not to, a USAFL branded ball, not too long after that. Naneri was sitting and, and he was holding. A, a USAFL brand of ball, and that was that was awesome for us. So there was a call after that, essentially to be like, "Oh, see, like people can actually watch this. We'll we'll watch the sport." And there was a lot of people because of that time, and even you know uh, they came, they took a three month break as well. But when they came back, and they came back, uh, you know, a couple of weeks before the NBA resumed, the NHL resumed, and all these other leagues resumed. We still had a lot of people coming back and staying with the sport, and we managed to get people involved. I'll give you a really good example. We had a team that was breathing its last in the St. Louis St. Louis Blues. And yes, I know that they have the same as the hockey team, but they're affiliated with a team in, in Australia called the Carlton Blues. So it's it's slightly different. Mm. But anyway, <laughs> there was a, a gentleman by the name of Jake who uh, discovered the sport, and he went all in on the sport. And he and a couple of other people approached the folks in St. Louis, the one or two people that were struggling to keep this club afloat. And long story short, at the 2021 Nationals, they brought almost enough to field an entire team. And that is, that was the, that's the sort of spark that, that this sort of thing can really achieve. Now, the, we've suffered in the last couple of years from the slowness of Fox and the AFL to come up with contracts in a timely manner because uh, we are, you know, a, as you're hearing this a couple of months into the season already, and there is still no contract, uh, as you and I talk. And that's a shame because we're losing that visibility. Now, 
there is a subscription service that you can purchase for about $160 a year where you can go and watch games live or you can watch them on demand if you don't feel like staying up until 3 o'clock in the morning. But <laughs> you only will get into that if you know the sport. So unfortunately, we're losing that. And, and then the same thing with the women's competition. There was a women's league who just recently held their grand final. And they, you know, unfortunately, none of that was on TV. So unfortunately, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a tough battle, you know, because you, you know, we don't have any sort of control of that at the league level. But I, I guess in terms, to answer your question also about in terms of how the game has evolved, the skills have really improved uh, and the game, like the sport in general at the professional level, I think has become more about finesse because, you know, if you look back into the 70s and the 80s, there were instances where teams would score. I mean, they looked like uh, ABA scores back in the 70s where you'd have teams scoring 130 and 140 points, you know, and you'd have teams, there was a handful of occasions where teams would score more than 200 points. And so the, and it's gone from just simply kicking the ball forward to a more finesse game, like looking for the short option and 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 work a couple of passes together and then manufacture points and whatnot. It was very much a man-on-man defense in the same way, you know, everybody tagged a player. There was no set position, so to speak, but there was no uh, offside, so you could go wherever you wanted. But people were generally playing on their opponent directly. Now there's more zones, so it's it's that's changed a lot. So scores have come down, and now you start to see instances where teams may only amass, like you might see something closer to an NCAA basketball score, maybe something like you know eighty-five to sixty or something like that. Now it has changed. Uh, they are they tinker with the rules every year, much to the consternation of fans like myself. And so that scoring is coming back, and you are seeing instances where both teams are scoring more than a hundred points. So that's kind of how how the game has changed. I guess at the professional level, but you know what's great about it is as a as a as a player, and you know there's you mentioned about resources. There are plenty of resources on YouTube, everything from game clips even to full games. I mean, you go back and um, you know I during the long break I I went back and listened to um, uh, there was a guy who I listened to in my early fandom on the radio by the name of Rex Hunt, and I listened to a lot of the games Rex did back in the '90s, and uh, you know so there's full games that you can watch even from that era, and you can see how different the game is, but there. There's a lot of, uh, through the AFL and whatnot, there's a lot of basic skills, drills, videos and whatnot that you can watch. There's there's all sorts of highlight videos and even, you know, even uh, highlight videos, if you're not able to watch full games, there's a lot of condensed like seven, eight minute videos that you can watch. So it is more accessible now than it has been in some respects. There's still a long way to go. You know, like I said, we're at the, we're at the mercy of the television networks, but it has very much changed since I got into the sport. <laughs> you know, a quarter of a century ago. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, oh, man, so much good content there. It's, it's also interesting to me because I, I had no idea about that story with essentially the grand final not being aired because of a of a baseball game. And it's, man, that's it's just an unfortunate situation for that. But, <laughs> yeah, no, I and, and I was actually reading in other interviews, too, about, about the, the pandemic and how that affected the the overall industry as well. And that's, that's super fascinating to me about how, you know, you had that brief window to where there was virtually no competition there. So you got some, some more fans that way. Cause yeah, I mean, it's to your point. I mean, it's, it's really easy to get sucked up into. I think it's just a situation where it's, it's just not 
something you see every day. It's it's just not something that's as normalized, I guess, in the U.S. But once you have access to it and you're able to see it and it's in front of you, it's it's really easy to get swept up and caught up into and get caught up into the energy of it. So, I mean, I, I'm really excited for the industry as a whole that it, it, you, it was able to catch some momentum in those brief periods during the pandemic. Now, uh, I was listening to your interview on the Cobra Cast Kicking It Around the Globe podcast early today, and it sounds like you've had the opportunity to do quite a bit of traveling through footy, which even took you to Australia. So can you talk a little bit about that experience and how did that experience compare to a footy game in the States? Oh, gosh. Well, so the reason I went over there, um, so so just to give you, I guess, an idea of like my travel for the year, when I was playing, we usually would make a lot of short trips. And being in Philadelphia, we were pretty lucky, you know, that we could go to New York or Washington. And those are, you know, that's about a two, two and a half hour drive. And we would make one long trip a year. We'd go to either Boston or North Carolina, which, you know, they're they're based in Raleigh. And then we would go to the national championships, and that would be in usually somewhere in the middle of the country, like Austin or Ohio, or you know, one year, you know, one year it was in Florida, so or Colorado. So it's much different. And and you know, now when I in this role, I'd make three or four trips a year because we have regional tournaments. Like for example, this year uh, we have one regional tournament, luckily enough, here in Philadelphia, but we also have one in Minneapolis, which is a place I've never been to, and Denver, which is a place I've now been to. This will be my third time out there and then we're going to southern california for nationals now a lot of our games a lot of times you'll you know two teams will get together in a city they'll play one full game which is 80 minutes and in some cases they'll play you know sometimes you'll have three or more teams that'll gather and they'll play uh, shorter games you know to the equivalent of a full game or maybe a little bit longer than that but they'll play you know two or three different opponents so it's almost like a little mini tournament or a mini carnival as they call it over in Australia and you know once you get to regionals then it's a full day and our national championships are you know every team plays three or four games and everything goes over two days so that's always neat because you have it's mostly Americans our league is about 75% American, but you also have Aussies who have come over who have no idea that such a league existed, and they they love being a part of that community and something that they love again, which is which is amazing. So every three years, the AFL they host what is basically it's called the International Cup, and it's essentially the closest thing we have to a World Cup. And I don't call it a full-on World Cup simply because because of how advanced Australia is with the sport there is no Australian team because even if you took the best amateur players there they would win and they would win pretty handily and that's being polite (laughs) so the idea of this is to take players who are not from Australia these are they're not expats they're not people who moved to Australia when they were five or you know had moved had grown up in Australia and then moved and spent more formative years in the U.S. These are people who picked up the game in many cases in the U.S. There was teams from Canada and teams from Great Britain, South Africa. Papua New Guinea is always really good. A lot of from all over the Pacific, like Fiji and Nauru and New Zealand. So all over the place. And these are, again, they're amateurs. In some cases, they've had the opportunity to come over and play a season or two in Australia, which is a great opportunity. So 
this was something completely different. And the entire tournament, I went over in 2017, the entire tournament took place over two weeks. There were 18 men's teams divided up into divisions. There was a, a Division One and Division Two, and the U.S. was in the higher Division One. And there were eight women's teams. And women's footy has really, really grown over the last couple of years. Um, the professional league, the AFLW competition, only started in 2017. But we had been playing at that level, at the championship level, the first women's national championship was in 2005 and and there's been you know state footy you know lower level footy and amateur women's footy for a long long time but it's really really gained so the fact that we were over there just as the women's competition was starting up the fact that all these other countries were there was really exciting for me and I had joined right after the end of the last world cup I is when I took over so when I first took over they were like oh if you're still around in 2017 you'll get to go to this and to me, 2017 felt like the moon because it seemed so, so far away. Like by, by 2017, Brian will go to Australia and we will have all these colonies, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, you know, I had never been overseas before. I mean, I had been, like I said, I'd been to Canada, I'd been to the Bahamas, but this was my first time, like, I had never been so far away from home. I was there for three weeks. I'd never been away from my wife for that long. So it was like a whole big thing. And so I got the opportunity to go over there and I was basically over to cover the American teams. And we had an men's team, we had the women's team, and we had a secondary uh, women's team that was over a development side that was there to play local amateur clubs across Melbourne uh, and really kind of help grow the sport that way as well. So I was covering three teams and was essentially covering 15 games in a 14-day span. And just thinking about that makes me, makes me even more tired than I am now. Um, <laughs> but I went over there, and first of all, Melbourne is a great city. It reminded me very much of, uh, of a place like Philadelphia, uh, or New York, where it, it's probably like a smaller version of New York, but it's a it's a very sprawling city in terms of uh, there's a lot of suburbs, what we would probably call neighborhoods in, in Philly or up in New York. There's a lot of culture. There's a European community and, uh, you know, from, from all over Europe and from all over different parts of Asia as well. They love their coffee in Melbourne, and they will tell you how, how good their <laughs> coffee is and, and wonderful. And, and just being there is fantastic. But you know, when you think about Aussie rules football, you know, you think about how soccer is almost a religion in Europe. You know, everybody has their local team, everybody has their big team, but they also have like a local team that's maybe in like the sixth or seventh level of whatever pyramid it is that they support and they go to on Saturdays and Sundays and whatnot. Well, this is the same idea. Just about everybody here in Melbourne follows a team and follows a, an AFL team. And because of the way that league evolved, it evolved as a Melbourne league. So all of the 18, you know, it's, it's since become a national league, but 10 of the 18 teams are in and around the city of Melbourne. And I'll give you kind of an example. Think of like a national league. Think of like an NBA or Major League Baseball where there is a team representing Astoria and Queens, a team representing like Bed-Stuy and Williamsburg and Dumbo, say, in Brooklyn, and then like Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. And all these little neighborhoods have teams, and then they are going to play Dallas, or they're going to play Seattle, and they're one club. That's <laughs> kind of what this is. So it is very much in that same 
and every little town, every suburb, every every almost street corner, it seems like, has its own team. I mean, for example, there's like a ta- there's like a little neighborhood uh, in Melbourne called Keylor, and then there's one next to it, maybe just a couple of steps away, called Keylor Park, and it has its own team, and, and they play in the same league. So it's it, it's all over the place, and it's not just when we think of sports clubs. We think very much in terms of when you become an adult and you play on a sports team, you know, maybe you play, you think of people who play softball, uh, you know, you get together once a week on like Wednesday nights, you play, you fool around, you, and then you go and you drink and that's it. All of these teams have like, uh, especially the ones that are more, you know, in the more remote parts, this is a civic gathering. The teams, the lineups are announced on Thursday night, and it's done at a dinner. All the people that are members of the clubs, all the townsfolk, everybody comes out to see who's going to play for the team that week. And in some cases, if you're if you are making your debut, you get there's a jumper presentation. And we had the opportunity to actually go to a couple of these clubs. We the U.S. played uh, men's team played uh, Papua New Guinea at uh, in, a, in a place called Montrose, which is about an hour east of Melbourne in at the foot of the Dandenong Mountains. And we were there on Thursday night as their team, which was which the U.S. was was playing and then Montrose was playing after that. We were there and we were cheering along with everybody else when everybody got their name called and, and that sort of thing. And then and and so it was very much, a, you know, th- this was this was a happening. And I don't recall in all the involvement that I've ever had in sports here. I've never been a part of anything like that. And that is just about universal for all of the teams in that part of the world. And, and everybody was really excited to see us. So for me, it was an education. I got a chance to go to a bunch of professional games. I got to go to the Melbourne Cricket Ground. I got to walk around the outside of it as part of the opening ceremonies. I remember watching the Olympics when I was about eight or nine years old and saying, the one thing I want to do is be in an opening ceremonies. And I got to live out my dream, even though it was <laughs> maybe like 500 people in this cavernous 100,000-seat stadium. I was there. Um, you know, The interesting thing that happened, I think, is, is I had gone over there, and, and, and like I said, I was trying to coordinate all of this um, commentary and I found out not too long before the, the, the tournament started that they were going to be needing volunteers to do play-by-play and whatnot. So, of course, I stuck my hand up and I said, listen, I don't know who's handling this, but I'm over to cover the U.S. I'm happy to do whatever you want as long as I also do the U.S. games. Mm-hmm. And when the schedule first came out, I was doing color commentary. Now, I've never done color commentary in my entire life. And I was hoping to do play-by-play, but, you know, and I, and I gently nudged uh, the person who uh, set up the schedule was a, a, a woman by the name of Kirsty Fitzgerald, who is very, very lovely, and she did yeoman work in putting this together. And I said, hey, thanks for including me. You're wonderful, great, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, I can also do play-by-play, so if you need help doing that during the weekend. And she got back to me, and she was like, um, we've already had a few people drop out, so, yeah, we're going to need your help on this. So she sent out a revised schedule, and I was now doing play-by-play for all of the U.S. games, except for the very first one against Canada and I really wanted to do play-by-play for that one because it's Canada and we don't like Canada but you know what I said (laughs) and I was still you know I, I, I was still kind of back and forth and by the time I got there and I had seen you know I was paired with these two guys who were from essentially the outback in Australia. They were from this place called Swan Hill, which is right on the border of Victoria, New South Wales. They got in a car and drove four hours. They volunteered and I said, you know what? 
I'm just going to enjoy this, and it's going to be. Now, I my play-by-play style is I think of goofy things to say and just, <laughs> invariably just of all the – and they come from different places and different, you know, like, like watching, like, cartoons and watching, you know, hearing, you know, other people do play-by-play. And I don't, like – you know, I, I I say random stuff, and you know, I was really nervous about calling with these guys. I'd never met them before, and they said, uh, "Well, USA and Canada, Brian, what do you think about that? About they, they don't like each other." I said, "Well, you know, it's a rivalry match. Uh, they they don't go together very well. It's like peanut butter and jalapenos," and they fell over laughing. So I knew I was doing something right. <laughs> but at one point in the game, one of the American guys, a guy from Dallas by the name of Dave Greziak, completely leveled this Canadian dude. I mean, he ran him over and earned a free kick. And one of the guys, one of the callers said that was a strong tackle. And immediately I thought of my brother-in-law when we used to sit around and play cards back in the day. He would boast whenever he had a really good hand, and he would say, "My, I have a hand that's stronger than a garlic milkshake." So I knew as soon as I had the opportunity, I said, "You know, well, well, Dave Greziak, of course, is a strong tackle. He's stronger than a garlic milkshake." And I looked over, and like I could see like all these people busting eardrums, like the producer and the and the camera guy and the other people. They were like, "What? What did he just say?" So that was. Basically, like that, how that went. So, you know, it, we had a really good time. It was wonderful. I go back to the hotel, and I get a call from one of the women's coaches, and she said, "Are you on Reddit?" And I said, "No, it's a giant waste of time. I'm not on Reddit. Why?" She goes, "Well, if you go into the AFL subreddit, they're talking about you." I was like, "What do you mean they're talking about me?" Like, here, look at this. And so I go and I look, and they're like get a hold of this American dude. Like, I've never heard of this American dude. Like, he's talking about garlic milkshakes. Like, this is great. Like, we love him. And I went, oh. So, long story relatively shorter, um, <laughs> uh, ESPN did a thing like, here's this American guy who's come over and he's talking about garlic milkshakes and all, and, and mustard coming off the hot dog. <laughs> like, we've never heard anybody like this, and it's great that there's like somebody calling our sport in, in an American <laughs> accent. They were calling me like the American version of one of their commentators, Brian Taylor, and sure enough, Brian Taylor his network got a hold of me and said, hey, we want you to come up and be interviewed in the radio booth next week. And I said, oh, sure, you know. And it was weird, like, getting, you know, people recognizing me and all this other stuff. And I just, I, it was wild. I had never expected anything like that to happen. And it was really cool. And I said, listen, I said, you know, because they're like, oh, you're just trying to get attention. And I said, well, no, I'm trying to bring attention to the sport. and I'm trying to bring attention to this team. I said, because, listen, I'm just the soundtrack. The people that are doing the hard work are the players. You know, you got people from all over the country who've learned this sport and in some cases have only been playing it a year or two. They're the ones who you should be interviewing and paying attention to. And they got their attention as well. But listen, I'm just there to tell the story. And yeah, and, and I do it in my own way. So so all of that all together over the course of those three weeks, I, it completely opened my eyes. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. I'm itching to go back. I was supposed to go back two years ago was, was when we were supposed to be the next International Cup. I'm hoping to go back next year. And Australia itself is a fantastic place. But just to be able to experience the game that I love and I've been following for so long in its natural environment is something I'll treasure. Oh, definitely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, and it's crazy because Australia is also one of my first international experiences. Actually, I think it's my first international experience of being outside of the U.S. So it's, it's a very, truly a very special place, but to, yeah, to go there and to experience your favorite sport in the, in its home country, I imagine is just nothing short of spectacular. And 
actually speaking of the commentating and, and some of those those great comments that you'd be making, I was listening to an interview earlier today too. So you'll you would adjust the nomenclature when you're in Australia commentating on the games as well, correct? Yeah, I would. You know, I it's hard because you know one of the things that Australia is very protective of, and especially when it comes to its indigenous sport, is that it has its own language and that it has that it's Australian and that it's not. European or American, mm-hmm. you know, within the last 20 or 30 years, you know, Australia has really gotten a hold of American culture. There's people there that, that follow the NFL, that follow the NBA, that follow basketball. So when you turn about like, like, oh, you know, he's quarterbacking the team, but you're talking about a sport that doesn't have that position, people tend to bristle. And I see a lot of that culturally speaking on a larger level. The league wants, the AFL wants to have a nighttime grand final because they see like the the spectacle that the Super Bowls become there's more in-game music and and sound effects where there really wasn't that I mean it's similar to like how there's all like they play like walk-up music and baseball but they don't they don't do anything like that they don't have like the in-between plays normally Mm -hmm. and they're seeing that encroach upon the game and that's seen as an Americanization I mean at the end of the day I'm American and I'm going to slip in things like bootleg and terms like that that go to other sports (laughs) but what's important is is that you preserve not even so much the the integrity of it but it is what it is and and so you know i i've tried to learn and and i've listened to a number of commentators i mentioned rex hunt uh, guys like jim brayshaw anthony hudson these are guys who i've listened to for years and years and years and years and you don't you know i'm not out to copy styles but Everybody, you know, there is a certain cadence that the game has. And so the more you listen to that, you know, I, because I, it was very difficult to watch footy and, and, and I listened to it for most of the time, I feel like I learned more about the game than I, and about calling the game and watching it. And my style kind of reflects that because as you can tell, I can speak, you know, pr- for long periods of time and forgetting to take a breath. Um, so, <laughs> I, that's the sort of style that I like and I'm used to. And so there is that sort of cadence and it does wrap into the nomenclature of the game. And so that people who are new can understand it, but also somebody who's been following the game from Australia for, you know, 20, 30 plus years can can appreciate it. So, yeah, I do tend to kind of temper that. So it's it's a delicate balance, but I try my best to pull it off as best as I can. <laughs> no, for sure. I think you summed that up really well. It is kind of a balance because I think it's good to be culturally self-aware and to learn from each experience and kind of do splashes of something that, you know, would make sense in, in their culture or in a different culture. But then you're obviously going to still have those instances to where you say or, or do things that are unique to your own culture. And, you know, you still want to be true to your own personality and your own quirks. So it's it is a, a balancing game for sure. Yeah, and and especially even now, um, you know, now I've branched out into learning cricket mm-hmm. or, or in the commentating cricket, and I've known cricket. I've been following cricket about about fifteen years or so, but I've only really been like really dedicated to following it maybe the last ten. And I started f- and and there's a a really great website called Gorilla Cricket, which uh, I'd been listening to matches on for the last two or three years, and. 
It's these guys, and they sit in a radio studio in London, and they commentate because a lot of cricket commentary is geo-blocked, and what they offer is essentially a free worldwide service. And so I've been listening to them, and with the pandemic, London has been in lockdown, so they've needed to call games over Zoom. And what that's allowed them to do is get people from outside of London such as, you know, little old me, to call matches. <laughs> and so I've needed to learn now a new language, especially when you consider the fact that when you consider positions on the field in cricket, it's not like baseball where it's like there is a left field, there is a center field, there is a right field. No, it's mid-wicket, it's cover, it's square, it's point, it's backward point, it's silly mid-on. It's, it's all of these words <laughs> that aren't necessarily intuitive. And when you are playing with an audience and when you're you know addressing an audience that is fluent in this it's really difficult now there will be certain instances where for example i did say that a guy got caught out on a line drive and there was a one of the regular listeners was like you need to explain to me what a line drive is because I've never heard of this entire life. Mm. Or, or I'll say like, oh, he hit that out of the ballpark. Well, that's not, again, that's not, that's, that's a baseball expression. <laughs> so, you know, I find myself even then kind of wandering into, into other things. But so, but yeah, it's, I mean, it is that, and there are times when I stray out of that, but because I think there was that understanding and of being somebody who is like learning the sport later on and have this this background of other sports there is sort of that forgiveness especially if you attach a funny saying onto it again like stronger than a garlic milkshake so <laughs> <laughs> right no for sure and yeah definitely if you if you dabble in in many different sports i imagine there's going to be some natural crossover in there or things that are maybe second nature to you or that you just say kind of that are just subconscious or something that you say and then they may have to explain further that may not make sense or, or be out of context in another situation so no all that makes makes a lot of sense and i heard you mention it briefly before about women's footy is that something you're getting more involved with currently yeah and you know what's what's, what's interesting about this eric is that like I said, footy's been around a long, you know, women's footy's been around a long, long time, but it's been tamped down. I think, you know, there would be these exhibitions in Australia back in the war years. And, you know, once the war came back, the women were, you know, it was like, oh, women shouldn't play footy. It's too rough for women. And here, play netball, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and so there's always been an interest in it. I've always had an interest in, in women's sports, watching, like, especially uh, you know, big fan of soccer and have watched the women's soccer team do well, uh, you know, watching uh, women's basketball, the WNBA and whatnot. And, you know, I used to write for a soccer outlet and going back about 10 years when you see even more so when we all start to question how women athletes, how uh, people getting, you know, women getting into this journalism industry, how they're treated uh, and how they're perceived. And, you know, as a, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white uh, cishet male. And, uh, you know, I understand that, like, uh, I'm seen differently, I guess, in the general public than a woman coming in. And especially, you know, in the women's in the women's game where there's in, in AFLW where there is, you know, a large, uh, especially in Australia, there's a large indigenous population that is into the game uh, and, uh, you know, the LGBT community as well that is well represented not only on the field, but also in positions of power in coaching positions and also in the journalism field and in the 
and in the broadcasting field. I remember when I was coming up and playing in the league, I was always interested to see because, you know, there would only be about six women's teams as opposed to the 30 or so men's teams. And so I always, I liked going over and I liked watching these games. I know that the skills in the U.S. national championships, you know, when I first watched in 2008 and I go back and watch it, the passion was there, the enterprise for the ball was there, and everything about was there. The skills were we're we're still a ways off. There was a lot. It was basically like watching soccer because there was a lot of missed handballs. There was a lot still to be improved, but the but the passion was right. And you know, I I would go back and watch every year. And you know, within ten years, there was enough teams to where there needed to be a second level, a second division. And by 2015, which was the first year that I called a women's match. I was surprised at how clean the skills were. The athleticism had picked up. There was one team, the Denver Bulldogs, who would ended up winning six championships in a row, and they had done it through the very that very bash it forward get the ball forward at any cost that I explained was was really kind of a hallmark of the sport in the seventies and they were so athletic and they will just, you know, get to the ball first to kind of paraphrase uh, Flyers coach Fred Shiro, get to the ball first and arrive in ill humor. And they really just kind of knocked teams around the ground. By the time that they lost that title to the San Francisco Iron Maidens, who have now won five in a row on their own right, they were forced to play that more finesse game and they were forced to concentrate on their skills and they couldn't win on their athleticism alone. So there's that. What my attitude about that was is when I came on board, there was very little in terms of, you know, maybe a paragraph or two about what was happening in the women, whereas for the men you would see all of this this long, in-depth previews of all of these the men and there was all this, but not so much about the women. So when I first did nationals and I first you know started putting this together, I put together detail for the men, but I also put together maybe about a 2,000-word preview for the women. And I showed this to Drea Casillas, who was the women's coordinator at the time, and she said, we've never had anybody do this for us before. We've never had anybody like break down matchups and actually like mention more than one player per team. And that surprised me because to me, like the women were just as exciting to watch, if not more exciting in some cases than watching the men. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing not long after that, one of my friends from the sport also played rugby. And apparently there was a rugby magazine who they covered the men's, their men's nationals, but they offered no coverage of the women's whatsoever. And when a reader asked the editor directly why this was the case, the response was, well, I don't think our readers would find women's rugby very interesting. Now, I thought about this in my own paradigm in my own world, and I thought about people who I was friends with and who I'd known their stories. You know, I think about a woman who had moved cross-country. She was a single mother. She had a young son. She moved to New York to get her law degree, and she still played. I thought that was a great story. I think about all of the people who have moved to new cities and started playing footy as a way to feel belonged socially. I know um, there was a woman who played for the team in Denver who she said that, uh, you know, she was very overweight 
you know, this gave her an opportunity to focus on her mentally and physically as well and to get into better shape. There's people who, uh, you know, I think of all the Australians who had this you know, now they had more of an organized chance to play women's footy. Uh, There's people who had never played footy at home in Australia on the women's side, and now they had this opportunity. And I'm thinking to myself, how, like, that to me is interesting. I want to tell the stories of these people. So I, I wanted to be the opposite of what that was. And I know that not everybody, especially now, we're talking like seven, eight years later, it's gotten a lot better. But the, the situation in reporting it and, and, and all of that was pretty bad. So I wanted to at least to try and make a difference. Now, in terms of women's footy and the overall landscape is that because professional women's footy is still relatively new, it's not as far gone, you know, the, the, the men's footy, like the talking talking about like amateur men in different countries they are still way behind in terms of um the skill level there's one exception to that on the men's side and that is mason cox a six foot 11 inch american who basically was drafted because of his height and athleticism and who every once in a while i mean he he is a very polarizing figure because there are times when he sets the world on fire and then there are some times where people are questioning why he's over here taking up somebody's spot we have had at one time, we before the pandemic, we had four or five women at the state level, basically one step away from playing professional women's football. And we did finally have a breakthrough with Danny Marshall, who was a uh, Division II soccer player at C- Colorado School of Mines and had found, found the sport on ESPN in 2009 when she was a freshman. Finally got the opportunity to play in 2018. There was somebody over here who had a contact with a couple of AFLW clubs, and she went and played two seasons with the Western Bulldogs in AFLW, and she was the first, not only the first American to play women's footy, but she was the first USAFL product, the first one to come up through our league. And, you know, as much as we love Mason Cox because he's an American and his brothers play in the league here, and he, you know, he comes back every year for nationals and he supports our league and we love him dearly, you know, Danny was one of us. Danny was a was a friend. She was a teammate. She was an opponent. And so we felt, I guess, a little bit more stronger of a connection. Now, hopefully, the pandemic has derailed a lot of things, but hopefully we can get another woman who's available, who's, who's able to, you know, go over there and really, like, it's a life-changing experience and be able to do that. But but women's footy is very steadily expanding really all around the world because I see all the great things that are happening in Canada and in England. Japan has a national team now. New Zealand has a national team. So it's getting there, and I love it. And the community around it is great, and the people who are involved in it, and they're just incredibly wonderful, and I wish them nothing but success. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, I, I love that you're – that you've been wanting to get more representation in the, the women's footy community and to do write-ups and to do previews and to do, do content for them. I think that's all really important work. And no, I, I applaud you so much for doing that. And I, so I do have one question that may or may not be fully footy related, depending before we get into final thoughts and plugins and whatnot. But I hear that you have a, there's a really interesting backstory in how you met your wife. And I'm really curious about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this actually has nothing to do with footy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, footy. Listen, um, I well, I, I had to explain to my wife what what footy was, and she, you know, she she's on board with it. Like she'll sit and she'll watch with me sometimes. But no, that's the story has nothing to do with it. So, um, <laughs> I I I met my wife at a at a uh, Jeopardy audition. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, it was, uh, we're going, it's coming up on 17 years ago. And the audition was held in Philadelphia. And this was back in the day when, because now everything's done online. But this was back in the day when they called you, you know, you, 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 you sent an email in and they said, great, come, come to this hotel. And my <laughs> wife's actually from Norfolk, Virginia. So she and her parents actually drove like five hours so that she could try out for Jeopardy. Hmm. And yeah, we met there and we, and this is how long ago it was. We didn't exchange phone numbers. We exchanged AOL instant messenger names. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, so we met, that was, and uh, two and a half weeks later, she drove up from Virginia. She drove, you know, six hours and I still, I, I still, I still, still think both of us are still wondering why on earth she did that, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad she did. I know she's glad that she did too. But that was uh, we had our first date two and a half weeks later, uh, and that was like I said, that was uh, almost 17 years ago, and we've uh, we've been married this month. Uh, we just celebrated our. Uh, our uh, goodness, now I have to do math. It's our our twelfth wedding anniversary, and uh, we have a lovely little daughter who uh, just is about to turn two. And uh, maybe she'll get into sports like I do. She likes going to the soccer games like us. But uh, we'll 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 see what happens. <laughs> no, for sure. And yeah, that that backstory definitely did not disappoint. That is a really interesting uh, way to meet your wife. And congrats on the twelve years of marriage, by the way. And um, yeah, that's that is wow. That is a really interesting backstory. Man, there's been so much good content in this conversation. So, so eye-opening. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that, that the question that, that, I get, that we get a lot is, did we make the show? And unfortunately, the answer to that is no. And we oh. both have tried <laughs> multiple, multiple times. I'll tell you what, on, on, on this couch over here, I'm a champion. I mean, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 listen, we're Jeopardy! champions of, of our street. And so that's, that's, that's all. <laughs> I, I, until such a day when we finally make the break for and I break down and, and actually like take the time to learn more about Shakespeare and philosophy and all the other crap I don't know about and don't really care about because <laughs> that's the key to winning I'm learning is to actually like study on things that you don't that you're not interested in like Shakespeare and the Bible and all this other nonsense and I'm just like I give me <laughs> give me categories about sports and flags and all that other stuff so <laughs> oh for sure hey I mean being a couch champion, hey, that's that's all that matters sometimes. That's a <laughs> that's an accomplishment in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start somewhere, mate. Exactly, exactly. Oh man, there's been so much good content in this conversation. It's been so much fun. So, is it now is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins and everything? Oh gosh, um, uh, I I I don't know. Um, I'm a Leo. Um, there's that. No, I mean, <laughs> I mean, here's here's what I'll say is that I, you know, one of the things that that I've really kind of am learning about this, and in good ways and in bad ways, I think, is that my real connection to this and and the reason why I stick with it is. I, when I mentioned about when I was a kid, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to be in commentary and I, you know, I went to college immediately afterwards to hopefully got to, you know, get a career in, in broadcasting. And unfortunately, I've struggled with with mental health issues and whatnot. And I, you know, even now as an adult, I'm I'm trying my best to manage that and whatnot. And one of the things, you know being able to do something that I've always wanted to do and not just, you know, being able to, to, to something that I don't think I ever would have gotten the chance to being able to have like the support of, you know, obviously, you know, my wife is Chelsea is fantastic. And, 
and my family's been been incredibly even though you know they didn't really like get on board with it until i went to australia and and, and you know they were like oh he's now now he's known in at least one other country great <laughs> you know the the community behind this has been second to none and 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 it's really just the support of everybody that i've had and getting this chance to do what i to to do something that i've always wanted to do and you would have told me when i was you know 15 years old or 16 years old and i was really just kind of like still questioning my you know having all these existential uh, uh dilemmas and and wondering like where where is my place i mean i'm i run in a lot of concentric circles i mean i'm you know i i've have board game friends and we were in a darts league and we've all these friends you know and, and and soccer and all these other things but but being involved in sport and being involved in something with such a tight-knit community i think has really helped me get through a lot of difficult times and to to have something like this i feel very blessed and the sport itself is amazing and wonderful and if you're within the sound of my voice and there's a team near you and we'll talk about that in a minute i'm sure but if there's a team near you i mean <laughs> even if you don't play mm-hmm. even if you don't you know even if you just want to come out and watch or hell we need umpires you know if you want to come out and learn how to be a goal umpire and you do the finger guns and you get to wear the funny hat you know <laughs> if that sounds interesting to you by all means you know let get get involved but but it's such a wonderful sport and a wonderful you know it, it's it's an, been a life-changing experience for me and that's why I do what I do is to try and get people to see, you know, in, in whatever capacity they feel comfortable in getting involved in. It's such a such such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I'm I'm I don't know what what I've done to to get the opportunities that I have. I'm 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 glad that I, I'm glad that I have. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, to your point, community is huge and it just sounds like a great such a great tight knit community and the footy community as a whole. And yeah, and, and from doing my research on you and, and reading about you and listening to interviews, like I could I could tell that you've wanted to be a commentator for your whole life and I can just, you know, see this passion within you for footy and just everything that you're doing. So no, I applaud you so much that you're able to have that lifestyle and do it full time and just and have so much fun with it. And I can just I can just tell you have such a blast talking about it and I I couldn't admire that more. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun when I get when I get a chance to do it, and I'm learning now that there is a time and a place to do it because I used to talk about it all the time at work when I first started, and they were just like, "Yeah, why don't we set aside times for you to do that now?" So, but I've. I was a lot more socially awkward back then, but, but you know what, I mean, the way I look at it and, you know, there's a lot of, I say, you know, the, the point about, about, you know, whatever we're being apart, however you feel comfortable is I feel like in any community and in any hobby, and it's not just sports or, you know, any, any sort of thing where there are multiple roles, like there's always a place for you in anything that you want to do. You just have to find what it is. If you're into sports, you might not be able to play, but there's other ways for you to contribute. And so that's what I tell people, especially folks, that, you know, when they get to the certain point where they're contemplating retirement or, you know, I've had friends who have suffered like career ending injuries just very suddenly, like an ACL injury or things like that. And they'll be like, I don't know what I'm going to do without the sport or I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, look, you still have that passion. Mm-hmm. You still have that 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 fire coach mm-hmm. teach be an umpire and you know people it, 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 there's more to to athletics than just playing you know so so i encourage that and, and it goes beyond footy it's anything that you want to do there's always a place for you if you still want to be a part of it no for sure and i couldn't agree more i i think if you have a passion for something i mean the the possibilities are virtually endless for how you can get involved with it how you can contribute and what you can give back and 
Gosh, uh, speaking of which, speaking of options and whatnot, um, <laughs> where where can people find more information about yourself, the work you do with footy, and anything else you want to plug in terms of resources or anything like that? So the the league that I work for, of course, is the United States Australian Football League. That's usafl.com is our website. As I said, uh, we have a list and a map of all of the teams. We have 51 teams from Maine all the way down to Hawaii and many places in between. Uh, we're, we're working on getting a team in Michigan. Uh, we've had a couple of some interest in Detroit. Hopefully over the next year or two, we can we can get something going there. But if there isn't a team in your area, we have uh, resources to show, you know, to help you if that is your thing or, or maybe to, to get other people interested in your area uh, so that uh, you can get involved. And, and you know, we, even if you just want to come to a game, we can put you in cl- whoever your closest team is and we can do that as well. So um, you can find us, the league, on social media, uh, on Facebook. We're at US. AFL on Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. Our channel is USAFL1997. Me personally, you can find me on Twitter at BarishUSAFL. That's B-A-R-R-I-S-H-U-S-A-F-L. Uh, we are in the middle of our 25th anniversary celebration, and one of the things that uh, project that we're working on is a uh, uh, the USAFL 25 podcast, which is a limited uh, series. We're going to be producing about half a dozen episodes, uh, just talking with some of the founders of the league and how they got involved and really the genesis of this new movement of Australian football here. And um, not just Aussies who have come over and started, but also just Americans. Uh, you know, we, we're going to do an episode on uh, on women's footy, for example. Uh, we'll do uh, you know how the national championships came about. You know, some of the formative years of the league when we were you know trying to get people to sponsor us so so that that's a project that's coming out in the, in the coming weeks and keep an eye out for and we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes uh for that so i'm, I'm really really proud yeah for sure yeah and i'll make sure to plug all of this information and put all these resources in the show notes once this uh, episode gets released but no once again thank you so much for this awesome and eye-opening conversation i've learned so much about footy and it's it's been a blast you know learning more about it and it's it's honestly hard not to get caught up into the energy of the sport and you clearly have a lot of knowledge and passion for it, and I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future projects with the 25-year anniversary, with uh, spreading the footy gospel, with with every all the wonderful things that you're doing within the realm. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, no, I really, I really appreciate it. And listen, I, I appreciate all the work that you do, and and just being a part of, you know, listening to some of the other shows and listening to some of the other people you do. To, to, the fact that you find me as interesting as all these other people is is uh, <laughs> is, is, is is kind of an honor. So I, I appreciate you uh, giving me the chance, giving me the chance to talk about this this great game. Oh, of course. I mean, you just have a passion for it that's infectious, and I I love learning about anything that's unfamiliar to me, broadening my horizons, especially anything having to do with culture, something outside of of my realm of knowledge. I mean, that's that's really what it's all about, right? Just uh, just being more well rounded, yeah. learning new things, and oh, there's so much fun in it. No, I I, I love yeah. every one of these conversations. So you know, and 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 <laughs> yeah, this experience has been no different. This has been a blast. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, and listen. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you out. Uh, we'll, we'll see you on the outer, as they say over there in Australia. Uh, <laughs> you got to bring your own chair, uh, but uh, <laughs> you'll uh, pull up, pull aside up, pull it up to the boundary, and uh, enjoy enjoy the footy, mate. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and I'll be on the lookout for if a uh, if a team ever makes its way to the Detroit area or Michigan or anything. So, yeah, keep uh, keep spreading the gospel to uh, get more teams out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing our best, mate. You know, and uh, uh, you know, we we love the Detroit area, and hopefully, hopefully, we get a team there sooner rather than later. 
<laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be, I'll make sure to keep up with the updates on that, but no. Yeah. Once again, thank you so much for this. It's been such a blast and uh, yeah. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to the USAFL's website and socials, Brian's socials, and that YouTube video I mentioned previously can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for Juxtaposed Journeys wherever you stream your podcasts. And maybe tell a friend or two about the show. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated, and helps the show reach more listeners. It also keeps new episodes coming out. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner. And music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.